Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you, Josh. It's great to see the choir back up there. Man, excited about them starting to meet back again and practice on Wednesday night. So just a good day to be in the Lord's house. Hey, if you're watching online, Rossville, thank you for joining us online at Rossville. Glad you're here. Hey, Colossians chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, I started a sermon series a few weeks ago entitled Life Upgrade. It's time to update as we've been going through the book of Colossians. I've had three different sermon series and this final one, just a couple of sermons left. And we're looking at upgrading our lives. And so Josh just prayed it so well. And uh, I want to talk about it today, impact. That's all I want to talk about. That one word is impact. How do we make an impact? Here's what Paul did in the beginning of uh, Colossians. He gave us all this theology uh, about Christ and about the Christian life. It was fantastic. And now, in the last couple of chapters, he's uh, telling us how to put it into practice in our everyday living. So theology up front, practical living up uh, at the back end. And so I want to talk about that even today. How do we make an impact with our lives? Let, Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about how you spend your time? And now when, I, when I'm talking about how you spend your time, I, I'm not talking about just a day, right? Most of us uh, operate off some kind of calendar system that we can look at our day tomorrow and we can talk about uh, our day. My wife and I are both very, very busy. Her and her occupation is realtor, me as a pastor. And so we'll meet uh, early in the mornings and we'll be like, we'll like, what's your day like? What's your day like? And we, we all both have our days all planned out. You, you do that as well. I'm not talking about how you spend a day. Like, so then you may be talking about, well, how about how I spend a week? Because again, most of you tonight before you go to bed sometime, you'll look at your calendar and you'll look at what's going on in your life Monday through Friday. Uh, my wife and I will talk about the weekend, what's going on next weekend, where do we need to be, what do we need to do? And so we'll map out our whole week. Most of you do that. Some of you have uh, 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 weeks mapped out. Some of you have months mapped out. Some of you have years, years mapped out as much as you can. I, we talked to a preacher. I, every now and then I bring a, a large uh, church pastor in to do consultation with our staff. And we brought one in not long ago. And I, we, we were talking about sermons. And, and I said, how long, how far ahead are you on sermons? And I think he said, Jeremy, what did he say? Three years or five years on sermons? Something I'm like, and I'm like, what? Five, what? Five years on sermons? Five years ahead. I mean, really plan out. Some of you are that way too. Man, you got, you, you know, when you're going on vacation in 2024, like you got it down already. I'm not even talking about that. I'm going to talk about how do you spend your time? Not in a day, not in a week, not in a month, not in a year. I want to talk about how do you spend your time over a lifetime from the womb to the tomb? How do you spend your life? Well, the average person will live, because here's what we do. We typically spend it without measuring it. Like if I were to ask you this morning, how much time do you spend in certain activities? You don't really have any idea because you're not measuring your moments. You're not measuring your life. And so other people have done it for us. So for example, if I were to ask you, how long uh, do you spend doing certain activities? You may not know, but some people have done it for us. For example, if you live to be around 78 years old, you will spend 26 years of your life on average asleep. Now, some of you are older and you're thinking, well, wait, 
I, I don't sleep but like six hours a night. I know, but teenagers sleep like 14 hours a day, and so that all evens out at the end of life. Well, not only that, I, I find this interesting. By the way, if you live to be 78 years old and you spend 26 hours asleep, that is exactly a third of your life you spend in bed, which is pretty phenomenal. And then, not only that, the research says we spend seven years of our lives trying to fall asleep. How many of you, like me, have a hard time falling asleep? Anybody else can't turn their brain off at night? That, that's, that's me, and so that's easy for me. Not only that, you spend... 13 years of your life at work. And that's not counting how much time you spend at school before you got to work. So 13 years of your life, but really it's going to be more than that. 13 plus years of your life at work or school because really you're at school eight hours a day starting about the time you're five or six years old. And so you're really adding four or five years to that when you add work or school. So it's 13 to 20 years of your life at work and school. Now, some of you are overlapping. You're sleeping at school while you're there. So you get kind of double time in there. And then, then you spend eight years of your life watching television. And I just can't figure out, is there that much good television on? I, I can't figure out eight years. But if you throw in three-hour football games, three-hour baseball games, you kind of get the picture. Now they're measuring. You'll spend about three years of your life on social media. And of course, you can do some of that overlapping. You, you spend about four and a half years of your life doing nothing but eating. Uh, some more, some less. Like, I don't know, does standing in the pantry eating out of a bag count for that four and a half years? I don't know, four and a half years. So look, if you add all of that up, now I know some of this is overlapping, but just hang with me. If you add all of this up, I'm already at 60 years of my life, and all I've done is sleep, try to go to sleep, go to work and school, watch a little TV, play on my phone, and eat. I have not done anything of consequence so far. I'm 60 years of my life. So then I said... Um, well, what about family? I don't see anything about family. So we did the research on family. And here's what we discovered, that at age 15, you spend about four and a half hours a day with family and about 100 minutes with friends, age 15. Why does a 15-year-old spend so much time with their family? Does anybody know why? Because they don't have a driver's license yet. As soon as they get it, that number drops dramatically. I promise you that number drops dramatically as soon as they get a car. Then at age 35, you spend about four hours a day with your children and then three hours a day with your spouse. And of course, some of that is overlapping. And then age 65, you'll spend four hours a day with your spouse and then you'll spend 65 minutes a day with your family. So you can see that, that if you add all that up, and I didn't do the math, multiply it time years, but you understand that when you look at those stats, here's what we know for sure. When I see how much time we're spending at work, school, sleep, when I'm home and I get all that, here's what we know for sure. That the majority of your life, if you take out sleeping and eating, most of your lifetime will be spent in two main areas. Here it is. Work, school, I count that as one. Work and school and family. Work and school and family. The majority of your life will be spent in work and school and family. And I want to tell you, if the majority of our lives are spent in those two arenas, those two domains of our lives, that if the majority of our lives are spent in work and school and family, 
It's no wonder that when we read through our Bible that God is going to be very concerned about those two areas of our life. Why? Because for most people, the two areas of your life that you have the opportunity, you have the chance to make the biggest kingdom impact are those two arenas in your life, in your family and at your work or at your school. That's your opportunity, that's my opportunity to make the biggest kingdom impact. Now, you heard Josh pray about kingdom impact. I'm talking about kingdom impact. Now, I know what everybody thinks when I say it. You think, well, kingdom impact, that's for preachers, right? That's for, that's for missionaries. That's for philanthropists. That, 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 that's, for, that's for people who are on a stage. That's for people who are in history books. No, it's not. Kingdom impact is, for, uh, is an opportunity for all of us to make. We all have the opportunity to make a, an impact for the kingdom of God. And so Paul, after he's given us the theology of Christ, he's uh, now, we just talked about the last two weeks, the personal Christian life, he now moves into the public arena and he applies this theology to the public arena of life, specifically those two arenas where you have an opportunity to make an impact, work and school and family, work and school and family. Hear me, hear me, hear me. If the world is watching anything, it is watching us at work and school and in our families. Let me say that again. If the world is watching anything, if a lost and dying world that is on its way to hell, that desperately needs Jesus. If they're watching us anywhere, they're watching us at work and school and in our homes. They're watching what kind of dad you are. They're watching what kind of mom you are. They're watching what kind of husband you are. They're watching what kind of wife you are. They're watching what kind of teenager you are. They're watching what kind of parent you are. They're watching what kind of employee you are. They're watching what kind of employer you are. They are watching us at work and at school and at home, and they're measuring our lives to see if this Christianity thing is actually real. So if they're watching us at work and school, if their eyes are on us, if the world has binoculars and telescopes and microscopes on our lives, then that becomes the biggest opportunities for us to make a kingdom impact. And here's the tension you have with what I'm preaching today, because I know the thought going through your mind. Preacher, how do I make an impact when I'm so busy in life? How do I make an impact? How can I make a difference as a mom? How can I make a difference as a student? How can I make a difference as a business owner? How can I make a difference as a, just a guy at work preacher, just a dad in the home preacher, nothing special here. I'm so busy. You don't know what I have going on. How can I make an impact? Well, hear me. God doesn't want you to step outside those arenas to make an impact. God has given you those arenas for you to leverage those to make an impact in your daily And when we get to Colossians chapter 3, that is exactly what he lays out for us in his word. So would you stand up with me as we honor God's word by reading it? Now, here's what I'm going to do today. For you note takers, those of you who take notes, I have no points today. 
I have one point I'll give you at the end, and I'm giving it away the whole time, so it's no secret. So one point, uh, so if for the, you don't even have to take notes today. This is not a sermon you have to take notes. This is one of those things where I just want you to hear me this morning because the Word is speaking directly this into our life. So look at Colossians chapter 3, look at verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers. Work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord, not for people. Knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoers will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there's no favoritism. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's talk about impact this morning. Let's talk about how we can make an impact. Now, at first glance, you might think this is simply a family work message dropped into Colossians randomly because when you read the commentators and read the text and you read the book of Colossians, it, it feels out of place almost. It almost feels that, why, why, why the switch in dynamic? Why all of a sudden did we launch into, we just had a verse about church and all of a sudden we launched into wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives and, and all that. Almost fail. And so uh, uh, why, why all of that? Paul, Paul is not telling us to take uh, the new life in Christ. Paul is not telling us, by the way, this is, not a, this is not a passage just on family. That's not the point of the passage. This is not a passage just on work. That's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is Paul is trying to tell us these are the opportunities you have to make an impact for the kingdom of God. That in your family life, in your work life, these are tremendous opportunities for you to impact the kingdom of God. So to get the full idea of the teaching, uh, you've got to know what the culture was of the day, all right? So before I launch into the Bible, can I back up, just pay attention, and let me tell you about the culture of the day. In the culture of the day in Jewish life, ladies, a woman was a thing. She was actually described in literature as a possession of her husband. In Jewish law, a woman had absolutely zero legal or societal rights. She was considered the object and the possession of her husband. It was a bleak picture for women of the day. We say, well, that's, that's those crazy uh, religious zealots. No, Greek society was far worse. In Greek society, the wife was to live a life of seclusion. And get this, she was not even allowed or invited to eat evening meals with her husband. She was required to cook them, but she was not allowed to eat with her husband. She too was considered the object of her husband. Now her husband uh, was a different ball game. He could have, by law, by right, by culture, he could have as many extramarital affairs as he wanted to have. If she had one, she would be killed. By the way, they didn't even call them affairs. It was just the culture of the day. There were houses of prostitution, actually religious houses of prostitution that the husbands would visit in the evenings. 
as men would get together and go there to find extramarital relationships. It was a sad, sad state for a woman. She was the object of her husband. She was the possession of her husband. She had no rights. One historian said this, all the privilege to the husband, all the duty to the wife. So he had it made, so to speak, while she was at home, barely more than a servant, actually oftentimes referred to as a servant in the home. Husband do what he wanted to do, no consequence whatsoever. The wife was a servant. Well, when you come to the children, it was no better under the children. Uh, there was a law, Roman law called uh, uh, Patria Potestas, I think is how you say it, which was the law of the father's power. Under it, the father could do anything with his child he liked. Get this, the father could sell his child into slavery, no repercussions. The father could make his child a laborer in his field or on his farm, no repercussions. This one blows my mind. The father could condemn his child to death and carry out the execution himself and no one would question it. And then you get to what Paul called a slave. You can't think in the context of America when you see that word slave. There was no such thing as a code of working conditions. The, the, the slave, when, when they were finished with him, could be thrown out to die. He did not even have the right to marry. If he cohabited with a woman and had a child, the child was the possession of the of the uh, master, much the way uh, a sheep born into his flock would be the possession of the master. It was, it was a terrible, terrible system. And I'll tell you more about the slavery aspect a little later on. It was a terrible, terrible system. So you've got women who are uh, just mere possessions treated terribly. You've got children who are possessions treated terribly. You've got fathers who are antagonistic towards their children, antagonistic towards their wives who are running rampant sexually and running wild sexually. All the while they have these servants on their business and in their home and they treated them all terribly. And so that's the culture of the book of Colossians that Paul steps into. And Paul steps into it and Paul said, okay, fellas, for Christians, uh, he used good Southern English. This ain't going to work is what he said. And he said, let's change that. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, I want the Christians to so stand out in this arena of life that the world around you cannot help but notice the difference between your life after you found Jesus than, it, than your life before you found Jesus. And so with that backdrop, here's what Paul said. Paul came along and said this, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. There, beginning in verse number 18. Now, before you start a lot of judgment on this verse, just listen to the whole sermon because Paul said the wife does have a role. Her role is to voluntarily place herself under the leadership of her husband. Now, notice this. It doesn't use the word obey the way it uses with children or even servants in the household. It uses the word submit, which is a military term, which is a voluntary placing of yourself under somebody over you. Now, it has a qualifier with it as is fitting in the Lord, meaning that her her first submission is to God. Her first responsibility to submit is God. So if the husband asked her to do something immoral, Paul was saying to her, you don't have to do anything immoral, but as long as it's not immoral, you have the responsibility to let your husband be the leader in your home. Now, voluntary submission would have stood out in Paul's day. Can you imagine, just, can, can you stretch your imagination just for a minute? 
Can you imagine how the women talked about their husbands when they went to buy groceries? Can you just imagine? What was your husband doing last night? I don't know. He didn't come in too late. I was still working, cleaning the dishes from, he had a bunch of buddies over for dinner and never said my name, never acknowledged me, just told me to go get more and, and, uh, hey, it just, it it was a bad night. How's your relationship with your husband? I don't have a relationship with my husband. I'm, I'm the household servant. I'm, I have to obey just like you do. Some of these women, by the way, in the marketplace would bear the physical marks of disobedience to their husband. So you imagine the ladies at the grocery store uh, sitting there at Publix and they're kind of meeting outside their car at chariots outside Publix and, and they're like, how's it going for you? And they're like, it's not going really well for me. And then there's one woman, this group of 10 ladies there, there's one woman say, my, my husband, he's so great. I, I, I really... I really, I'm so thankful that he's the head of my home, that, I, I, that I, I, I submit to his leadership because he's so good to our home. Can you imagine what the other nine ladies would have done? What? I was about to ask you what kind of poison to buy that knocked this guy off. <laughs> May not get caught. What are, you, what are you talking about how well your husband treat you leave that scene for a moment go into the next verse because they tie together and husbands love your wives and don't be bitter towards them now can I tell you that one verse right there is going to be revolutionary and earth-shattering and it's going to have the biggest impact you can possibly imagine husbands love your wives do not cause bitterness and anger in the home and the word bitter there is an awesome word Uh, it is the opposite of the word joy and that's really a great definition for me. So whatever joy is not men, don't do that. Whatever joy is, whatever is the opposite of joy, don't do the opposite of joy. And that's what Paul's telling the husbands. Whatever doesn't bring joy in the home, don't do what doesn't bring joy in the home. If you're yelling and screaming, doesn't bring joy, don't yell and scream. If your leadership doesn't bring joy, you've got bad leadership. Whatever the opposite of joy is, don't do that. And the implication is what brings joy to the home, which by the way is this love, word love, what brings joy to the home, husbands, that's what you ought to do. Now history tells us that love is totally absent from Hellenistic and Jewish discussions in marriage. You cannot go find a history book from this culture, this time, that talks about love in the home at all. And there is Definitely nothing. Even in Judeo uh, writings, there's no mention of love from the husband. None at all. The Greeks definitely didn't teach about love. There was no need to. A wife was a servant in the home. And so when Paul said, husbands, love your wives and bring joy into your home, can you imagine? Now, Now, can you imagine the husband and buddies, his buddies are getting ready to watch uh Tennessee football game because infidels watch Tennessee football game and uh, uh, and they're sitting there saying uh, they're sitting there talking about their house and like I tell you what I I smacked my wife around yesterday dinner wasn't well and that kind of thing happened and I you know and all this are just going on about how terrible the wives are and one one of the 10 husbands says I want to be honest with you he was wearing a Georgia shirt he said I want to be honest with you he said um, he said I love my wife he said, man, I'll tell you, I want to please my wife. 
Man, I want to tell you, I want, I want to meet her needs. And I tell you, there, I've got a longing inside my heart that I want to bring joy to my wife. I, I want to bring love into our home. I want her to smile when I come walking in the house. Last night when we were eating dinner together, and the, men, the good old boys would have said, whoa, what do you mean eating dinner together? She's supposed to be eating with the servants. He's like, no, I eat dinner with my wife. It's a special night because we eat dinner together every single night. Can I tell you this? The good old boys would have been blown away. And that husband would have immediately had the floor to elaborate. After the football game was over and Tennessee lost the game and the boys would have said, because that's what they always do, and the boys would have said, um, uh, the boys would have said, hey, let's go down to the temple and let's, uh, let's pick up some women tonight. And, the, and the, the Christian husband would have said, no, man, I don't, I don't do that anymore. I don't, I don't live that life anymore. I'm going to go home to my wife and I'm going to love on her and I'm going to help her with household chores around the house before bedtime so she can get in bed and get a little rest. Huh. Hey, those boys would have put themselves back in their seats and they would have said, now, wait a minute, what in the world are you talking about? But he's not done. Inevitably, the, con- the context would have came up to the children. Can you imagine the teenagers at school? Teenagers at school, and again, you've got teenagers bearing the marks of disobedience in their bodies. And Paul said, I want you to shun a rebellious life because that was a common trait. Kids brought up in a home without love. Kids brought up as objects in the home. And, and Paul said, I want you to obey your parents in everything, not because it pleases them, because it pleases the Lord. And, and, and you're to shun rebellion. And when a teenager went to school, you, you get the idea. I'm not going to keep giving you the scenario. What a difference it would make. But then you've got the father, and, and they're saying about the fathers, fathers, don't exasperate your children so they don't become discouraged. And dads, don't treat your children like property. Uh, uh, don't make them resentful. Don't make them bitter. Don't discourage them, but literally encourage them. The mere fact that a dad even cared about his kids was earth-shattering. And then they have this verse, slaves, obey your human masters and everything. Don't work only while being watched. Now hear me, this verse has been taken out of context. This is not an endorsement of slavery. More in Greek society at the time, more than 50% of the people on the street would be considered slaves. But you cannot... Uh, project America's history on slavery in that day. Every time Rome uh, conquered an area, they brought back captives. We see that. That was a common practice going back hundreds of years before this. We see that in the book of Daniel. Daniel in the Old Testament was a slave. He was brought out of his uh, Jewish land, brought into uh, a pagan land, and became a slave. Treated very well, became a servant, even became a leader. But they brought these people out in order to indoctrinate them. So even in the Hellenistic society of this day, they were considered not slaves as much as they were servants. As a matter of fact, when I was digging into it this week, the majority of professional people would have been considered servants. Most teachers were servants. Most doctors were. Most craftsmen were. So it equates more to uh, an employee of our day than it does what we would think of as a slave from a hundred years ago. It's more like an employee. Now, assuredly, they didn't have as much rights as an employee has in America. I'm not discounting that. But you, you got to think these were the professionals of the day, oftentimes that had been carried out of conquered lands, brought in and told to set up practice or even trained to be physicians or even trained to be craftsmen. And furthermore, Paul talks to them as employees, not as slaves, which would clarify their role a little bit. And Paul tells the employees not to operate as people pleasers. You know what that is, right? You know what that is at work? Only doing good when the boss is watching. 
But Paul says work with sincerity. That is wanting to do a good job, wanting to do a good job from the heart, which uh, says a word about our attitude at our jobs, right? Having a good attitude, no complaining, no murmuring, and work as if Jesus is your supervisor, which will carry you the extra mile. I mean, I'll be honest, we won't get into it. How much would that have stood out in the work marketplace? How much would it stand out in yours? And then he says, I got to move quickly. I preached you long. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly since you don't have a master in heaven. So now he tells them, you be just, you be fair. The word uh, uh, fairly there is a word that has to do with equality. You treat them as if you would want to be treated like you need to be treated. So when you see all of this, all of this is the household code that Paul sets up. And it was written for wives and husbands and children and employees and employers. Now, if they had done, if the Colossian church did what Paul said to do, changing the culture wouldn't be a problem. Making an impact would not be a problem. So go back to the city square in Colossae with me for a moment. You see a crowd gather. A wife is telling the crowd how she loves her husband and submits to his leadership and how their home is filled with joy and laughter. The husband is saying how much he loves his wife and his children and they are, he and his wife are partners together in life. And the kids are talking about what an encouragement their parents are. And the parents are saying how their children mind so well and are an integral part of their family and the employees they're talking about how much they love their jobs and the owners are talking about how much they love their employees and you start hearing words like love and joy and encouragement peace and laughter and sincerity all come shining through and when they're having that discussion even if it's just one family the crowd is inevitably going to ask how How is it that you're getting that joy in your home? How is it that you're getting that peace in your home? How is it that you're getting that encouragement in your home? How is it that you're getting love in your home? And Paul was trying to set them up to say this. Will it all happen when somebody introduced me to a man named Jesus? I used to live like you, used to think like you, used to act like you, used to talk like you. Man, I met Jesus, and he changed my life. He changed my heart. He changed my family. And here's what Paul was trying to tell us, that here's the only point I have today. That you can make a kingdom impact in your ordinary day-to-day life. Paul said, I don't need everybody to step out and be preachers. By the way, we need more preachers. God's calling you to preach. We need more pastors and preachers in America by far. We need more preachers. But 99.99% of you are not going to go into full-time ministry and be a preacher or missionary, some of that. And sometimes we think, well, kingdom impact is left for those guys. No, it's not. Kingdom impact happens under your roof. Kingdom impact happens at your job. Kingdom impact happens at your schools when you operate under the lordship of Jesus Christ inside your families and at your job. You can have, listen to me, you can have a bigger kingdom impact than the preacher could ever have. Close your Bibles, I'm finished. What would happen in your life if, if, you're, if you in your life operated this way? Man, I want to preach so long on this, I don't have much time. What would happen if wives, wives, you went out and talked about what a blessing your home was? Dads, what would happen if you went out and you talked about how much you loved your wife, how much you loved your family? 
the joy that was in your home, the encouragement that was in your home, the beautiful relationship that you and your wife have together. Students, what would it be like if you went to school instead of running your parents in the ground for their old-fashioned morals, which by the way, you'll have those same old-fashioned morals when you have kids. Can I get an amen? Everything my kids used to complain about, they come around right now and they're like, well, I don't think y'all were strict enough on us growing up. Right? If you have any brain whatsoever, that's where you turn to later on in life. Kids, what, what can you imagine if, if you went to school and you're like, I love my parents. They have the best for me. What would happen if you went to work tomorrow and you didn't complain at all? Not at all. Not one word. What if you didn't talk bad about your boss? What if you didn't talk bad about your employer? What if you didn't talk bad about your pay? What if you didn't talk bad about your benefits? What if you just went in and gave it your all and worked like Jesus was watching? Because by the way, he is. Can I promise you within a week of doing that, somebody's going to come up to you and say, what's going on, man? And what an opportunity for you to say, I'm just going to tell you what, man. I realized I was acting the way I acted before I found Jesus. God's done work in my heart. I want to act like Jesus. There are people here that need Jesus. There are people here that need impacted with the kingdom. What, what if as an employer you went to your place of employment instead of just trying to get every last drop of blood you can get out of your employees what if you just went in and blessed them above and beyond what if you treated them the way Jesus would treat them you can have an impact for the kingdom of God an incredible impact for the kingdom of God in your ordinary day to day if you would just get your family life in order your work life in order, your business life in order. Can I tell you, you could have more impact than a preacher or pastor could ever have. Because every day you're around hundreds of people who are far from God. Imagine what would happen if our whole church did it. Imagine what would happen if every person in this room went out and did everything I just said. Can you imagine the uproar in making Peavine City? Can you imagine the questions we'd all get? Can you imagine the guests that would be coming in on Sunday mornings because they'd say, I don't, I don't know what old Bob got. I don't know what old Sarah's got, but I want some of what they got and just showing up to find out what it is. That's the kingdom impact of everyday, day-to-day life. Letting your family and your work follow the principles of Jesus Christ. The place you spend the most time, by the way. I'm not even asking you to go out of your way. Should you serve at the church? Sure you should. I'm, this is not, that's not that sermon. I'm asking you to just go out where you go every day, work, school, and home. And live the principles of the Christian life. And you'll make a kingdom impact. Hey, uh, I think y'all are smart people. I'm going to say something and you finish it. All right? Two all beef patties. See, I love my generation. I love that. Two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pecans, on the same bun. How many of you like a Big Mac, man? Every now and then, I don't care if you're on a diet or whatever, every now and then a Big Mac just has to be eaten, right? It's just a thing. It has to be eaten. 550 calories and 11 grams of saturated fat goodness in a Big Mac. 
By the way, I was skinny in high school. They put a McDonald's in our town. It was the first fast food restaurant. And uh, it was going back to the early 1980s. They put a McDonald's in our town. And we used to just hang out after school in the parking lot. And we moved our hangout to McDonald's where we'd eat Big Macs and ice cream cones and french fries. It was kind of, it was kind of second lunch or early supper. I don't know which one it was. It was just a mid-afternoon snack when we got out of school. And uh, I quickly went from this little skinny boy that when you turn sideways, uh, it disappeared to... Uh, not that. Anyway, I, 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 it was Big Macs. Man, I love a Big Mac. I don't love a Big Mac as, as much as, as this guy does. This guy ate his first Big Mac, Don Gorski, ate his first Big Mac on May 17th, 1972. And he liked it. And so we went back the next day and got another one. And the next day we got another one. And the next day we got another one. And the next day we got another one. Next thing I know. He's ain't a Big Mac every day of his life since May 17th, 1972. You say that'll kill you. He's had two days off since 1972. One was a snowstorm that he drove to McDonald's anyway, and the McDonald's was closed. The other was when his mother died, and on her deathbed, she asked it that she asked that he take her funeral day off in memory of her. But other than that, he's just kept eating them. Not only that, I don't know why somebody would do this. He has every container that he's ever purchased that a Big Mac came in. August 24, 2016, the Guinness Book of World Records caught hold of what he was doing. And because he had all 28,788 Big Mac containers, they cited him as having eaten the most Big Macs in the history of the world. Guinness Book of World Records. May 18th to May 2018, he crossed 30,000. He plans to take a day off. When he hits 40,000, which will be the year 2032, when he turns 78 years old. I don't know about you, I've been going about this dieting thing all wrong. Here's the funny thing about Don Gorski. He didn't set out to set a Guinness Book of World Records by eating the most Big Macs in a lifetime. He just set out to eat a Big Mac. And in the normal course of life, just kept eating Big Macs, he made history. Now, I don't need you to start a Big Mac record. Here's what I need you to do. Here's what God needs you to do. I need you to go out in the normal course of life and make a difference. I mean, what needs to change in your family for, for the people around you, the lost people around you? What needs to change in your family for you to impact them with the gospel? Is it your attitude? Is it some bitterness or unforgiveness? Is it how you treat one another? Is it how you talk to one another? Is it how you talk about one another? Hear me, the world is watching you. Who's going to show up at church tomorrow because of how well you talked about your wife or your husband or your kids or your parents? And they say, I just don't get that. I, I desperately need what they have. 
What needs to change at work? Attitude, work ethic, how you talk about your employee, how you treat those that work for you, with you, around you. Every bit of that is a gospel impact. And you can make a difference in your day-to-day. I don't need you to be preachers. God's calling you to preach, come preach. Not today, you just come surrender to preach. If God, God's calling you to be a missionary, go be a missionary. Most of you, God has so orchestrated your life that he has the exact people around you and will have the exact people around you that you can make a kingdom impact if just in your family and on your job, you'll let them see Jesus in you. Would you stand with me? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Here's the invitation. If you're here today and you're not 100% sure that Christ is in your life and heaven is your home, we've got pastors up here at the Next Step Station who'd love to talk to you this morning and tell you how you can know Jesus. It may be that you can't do what we're talking about because you don't have Jesus living in you to do it through you. So if you need to become a Christian, our pastors are up here. These Next Steps tables, they're looking at you. Come take one of them by the hand and say, I want to become a Christian. Maybe, maybe you need to join our church. Maybe you need to be baptized. They'll walk you through that process. So you come you come see them uh, during the invitation. But now I want to speak to Christians. Head bowed, eyes closed. Let me speak to Christians. Christian, I want you to be honest this morning. How many, how many of you would say to God, you're not saying it to me, but you'd say it to God this morning. God, you've spoken to my heart and I do have the opportunity to make a bigger impact with my family and in my job if I just let Jesus live through me. How many of you this morning, God spoke in your heart and that'd be your testimony. Say, preacher, that's me. God, that's me. I have a bigger opportunity that I'm taking advantage of. Would you slip your hand up and hold it up just around the building, all around the building? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Our team's going to sing about revival. And if you want revival, it starts this morning here at this altar and come find a place to kneel. Come find a place to uh, uh, pray and I want you to say this. I want you to pray to God. I want you to say, God, help me make an impact in my family. Help me make an impact in my job. Let Jesus live through me and let the joy of Jesus shine through me and let them see it. Let me see. Let the world see my love for my family. Let them see my joy at work. If you're watching online or at Rossville, Listen, you can bow and pray right there. And, and, and if you're online, Jeremy's got a word for you. Listen to him just now. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that incredible message. Um, here's what we know from today's message. The world is watching us. And if we want to have an impact for the kingdom of God, we need to make sure that what they see is Christ-like. Our interactions with our family members, our spouse, our children, our parents. We need to make sure those relationships are Christ-like and that we are honoring each other the way Christ uh, tells us that we should in His Word. People are watching us in our relationships and how we work and how we do school. And, um, and so we want to make an impact for Jesus. We got to make sure we're doing those things right. Those things don't mean anything to you unless you've started a relationship with Jesus though. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. You begin a relationship with Jesus with first, understanding that you're a sinner. You've offended God with your disobedience to His will. And so, um, because of that, God sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your sins. And um, if we believe that and we confess that to Him, then we become followers of Jesus Christ. It is as simple as admitting to God that you're a sinner, believing that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again, and confessing that to him. 
If you've never done that this morning, there's no better time than today. It starts with you telling God this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I'm asking you today to forgive me of my sin. Lord, I believe that Jesus came, that he lived, that he died on the cross, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. God, I believe that. I believe that what he did on the cross pays for my sin. Lord, I'm asking you to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer for the very first time, we want to tell you, welcome to the family. In fact, we've got a book that we want to send you. It's called Welcome to the Family. It tells you all the next steps that you need to take in your journey with Jesus. We want you to know you're, you aren't on this journey uh, alone, and uh, we want to help you. And so if you would, if you just prayed to receive Christ, we've just dropped a link in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. If you'll click on that link, we're going to ask you a couple of questions, um, and uh, we'd love to connect with you and help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus and uh, send you a copy of that book in the mail. It's been awesome to be in God's house this morning. Um, thank you for being with us this morning. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.